So uh, one, of, one of my favorite uh, quotes is by uh, George Washington Carver. Uh, and for years, I used to claim that, that Carver was the inventor of peanut butter. So I can't tell you how many students I've told, I mean, it's got to be in the hundreds, uh, that George Washington Carver is responsible for the GIF factory over on you know, Winchester Road. And he, in fact, did not invent peanut butter. There's, there's a lie. Um, however, <laughs> however, he did live a really extraordinary life. Um, he invented, he did invent over 300 ways to use the common peanut uh, in our world to improve people's lives. And thus he got the nickname, the peanut man. Uh, Carver was, was born a slave in 1864 in Missouri. Uh, when he was an infant, his, he, his mother, and his brother were stolen uh, and sold in, to a, another slave uh, farm in Kentucky of all places. And when Moses Car uh, Carver, the, his, the slave owner uh, in Missouri, found out that this family had been taken, he hired his neighbor, John Bentley, to go and retrieve him. Uh, however, Bentley was only to, able to get George back, and so he spent the rest of his life apart from his family. Uh, but at that point, they, oh, they traded, Mo Moses traded his prized horse to have, uh, to have George Washington Carver. And Moses and his wife Susan named, uh, raised George and his brother uh, James as their own children. They taught them how to read and write. And at, at 11, George left and went to, to pursue uh, his education further. He left the farm. And he bounced around but ended up uh, graduating from Minneapolis High School in Kansas in 1880. He applied to Highland College, which is also in Kansas. Um, and he was initially accepted to the all-white college, but then he was rejected when he showed up on campus and was an African-American. Um, in 1894, he, he went on to become the first African-American to earn a Bachelor of Science degree and then earned a Master's of Agriculture four years later. Um, Carver developed the practice of crop rotation so farm land could produce higher yields. Uh, some have said that that, that practice has saved the, the economy of the South in a time where cotton was being planted and then it was tearing all the soil up. It, they didn't ha it didn't have any nutrients left, so he switched between crops. He cared deeply for helping for poor farmers improve their quality of life and wanted to make all of his inventions inventions available to everyone. Um, in, in fact, he, uh, when he was asked about this, he only patented three of his 300 uh, inventions. And when he was asked about it, he said, I don't, I don't want any of my inventions to, to benefit select persons. I think they should be available to all peoples. And despite segregation in 1921, he spoke before the House of Representatives on behalf of the whole peanut industry uh, and received a standing ovation at the end. Three American presidents, Theodore Roosevelt, Calvin, Calvin Coolidge, he's a president, I guess, and Franklin Roosevelt, uh, <laughs> all, he met all of them. Uh, and the crown, the crown prince of Sweden, he spent three weeks with this guy. He turned down a six-figure job working with Thomas Edison, who invented the light bulb, for some of you that need to know that. Um, he... Soon after his death in 1943, President Franklin uh, Roosevelt signed legislation for Carver to receive his own monument, an honor that had only been reserved for American presidents George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. He, George Washington Carver once said, when you can do the common things of life in an, in an uncommon way, you will command the attention of the world. He lived out that vision. 
And that's what our passage is about this evening. Jesus prizes the ordinary and the mundane. Those common things consecrated to him alone and done in his name get his attention. We will see that because we matter to Christ, even mundane faithfulness matters to him. And we have two, I just have two points. This is one verse. Uh, it's pretty simple. One is, you matter to Jesus. The second is, the mundane matters to Jesus. If you have your Bible, turn with me to, to Matthew 10, verse 42. I'll read it here. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a, a disciple, truly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Let me pray. Lord, would you be with us tonight as I've prayed uh, about this. I pray again that you would speak to our hearts. Help us to feel what it feels like to be treasured uh, by Christ. Help us to feel empowered that all of life, not just the things that, that seemingly matter, matters because of who we are, because of whose we are. Father, would, would you get glory from this group of people in downtown Lexington through the mundane things of this world? Would we do the common things in an uncommon way and thus command the attention of the world from a small place in a small town in a small state on one corner of the globe? I pray that your glory would be displayed here. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So in Matthew 10, um, you know, contextually, you know, because we've been in Acts with Marshall, and so I'll just kind of bring you kind of up to speed what we're talking, what this, where this verse comes from. Uh, we have Jesus calling his disciples and then sending them out uh, to proclaim what, it, what verse um, 5 says, the kingdom, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He tells them to, to go to the lost sheep uh, of the house of Israel. He encourages them to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, uh, cast out demons in verse 8. He reminds them that if anyone will, will not receive you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet and then leave that town, that house, for it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. He assures them that, that not to be caught off guard when they experience pushback. He says, you will be hated by, by all for my namesake. And he reminds them that whoever loves the, the father or son or daughter more than me or who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Then we get to our message, to this, to this passage. He ends this, this address to his disciples by reminding them that, that the reward that, of, of the reward that will be given to those who accept his disciples. He reminds them that down to the very smallest act of generosity, will be rewarded. So the first point I want us to see tonight is that you matter to Jesus. And whoever gives one of these little ones, even a cold cup of water, because he is, he is my disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Jesus is saying that he is watching intently over those he'd come to save. His disciples were absolutely precious to him. He wasn't going to let even a cold cup of water, even just one, go unnoticed. Think about what Jesus did to secure that cup of cold water 
for that disciple of Jesus Christ. He had to be, be born a human. We just got through uh, the, the Christmas season and, the, and the, the incarnation. The infinite God had to occupy only one place at a time. The eternal God had to become temporal. The one who spoke and stars exploded into existence had to make sure he didn't get burned by the sun. The one who breathed on dirt and, and, and created humanity had to become a baby, a boy, and then a man. He lived a slow and routine 30 years of existence, much, much of which we know very little about. He made stuff like nightstands and chairs as a carpenter. Uh, his forearms got tired from hammering. He got splinters and calluses on his hands. The one who decided how many bones the human hand would have got blisters. He got hungry. He got tired and needed to sleep. Jesus became a man identifying us in every way. Hebrews 2.17 says, Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make a propitiation for the sins of the people. The author of the story literally wrote himself into the story, into the pages of the story, because he cared so deeply for the characters in it. They were absolutely precious to him, and their affairs mattered to him. He lived a perfect life as the first Adam could not. He fully identified with the struggles of humanity, the emotion, the heartache, the laughter, and the tears and then he began, began his ministry. He started pouring out his spirit into the hearts of men and women, all, all with the cross and the resurrection in mind. He was tempted. He was burdened for the, minister, for the people he ministered to. And he, and he had people desert him. He had his closest to him that just simply didn't get it. He spoke truth to people only to have them return with blank stares. And he died a criminal's death. Every type of sin imaginable, as dark and disgusting as you can possibly dream of, were placed upon him. He drank the cup of God's wrath down to the very last drop. He endured the agony of crying out for help, only to hear the silence from the Father that had loved, loved him since before time began. And all the while, people mocked him as though he was powerless to stop what was happening. But he was unflinchingly committed to having disciples. He did all this so that you and I could be his disciples. He did this to have you. So he could call you a disciple. So when we consider all that it took to have you as a disciple, it shouldn't surprise us that he would look favorably on anyone who would give anything, even a cup of cold water, to one of his little ones. They mean so much to him that even the smallest act of kindness towards them gets his attention. This week I googled uh, the craziest things ever sold at auction. I know y'all probably did the same. Um, I, I, couldn't, uh, I couldn't believe it, but someone out there in the world, uh, in the crazy world we live in, purchased William Shatner's uh, kidney stone. They, uh, they paid a whopping $25,000 for a kidney stone. Uh, something William Shatner, the original Captain Kirk from Star Trek, uh, most certainly hated and wanted out of his own body. Uh, something that has literally zero value. Uh, someone paid $25,000 to have that thing. Uh, and that's kind of like the cup of cold water. <laughs> um, 
given to, to, to one of Jesus' disciples. A thing that is of little or no value at all. In fact, it's something that was culturally normative. It was normal uh, to get someone a drink of water when they came to your house, even uh, when this was being written. That was suddenly had immense value because of who it belongs to. A disciple of Jesus is of immense worth to God. He went to great lengths to have his people. So therefore, simply because of whose we are, our lives have immeasurable value. Something seemingly insignificant like a cup of cold water, or in Shatner's case, a kidney stone, is worth more than we could ever comprehend. To be one of Jesus' disciples means that you matter to him. You matter so much that the insignificant now takes on great worth. The bottom line is that your life matters to God. Your life is significant to him. He cares about the minor and the mundane details of your life. When I've read this passage over the years, I've blazed past that, that um, phrase, little ones, and, and not letting it sink in. In fact, I think for a while I thought it was children he was talking to. Um, but he's, he's referring to his disciples in that way because they're precious to him. They matter to him. The way I'm obsessed over my kids, Marshall mentioned my kids, I'm literally obsessed. Everything they do, I think, needs to be displayed to the world. Uh, I think that they're the funniest people on earth, they're the, the most beautiful, you know, whatever. The way that I obsess over my kids is the way that God dotes over, over you. Uh, the way I appreciate the people in the nursery who take care of the kids so that we can uh, worship in here is the way that God appreciates those who accept his children. The way a Boy Scout dad swells up with, with pride when you stop to buy popcorn out in front of Kroger, um, thinking that his son's like some master businessman or something you know, to procure, procure this customer. Um, that's, that's the way God feels about us. Uh, that's that's the, the attention that, that we get as his disciples. And we ought to pray to God about mundane things in our life. Um, because we need to pray to him because he's, he's a, a God who cares about the minor aspects of your life. We need to pray like we're talking to a God who, who, whose attentive ear we have and all we do. You matter to Jesus because of the great lengths to which he, he went to, ha- to make you his disciple. The other side of the passage is equally as powerful. Second point, the mundane matters to Jesus. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, because he is my disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. This passage tells us that the mundane aspects of life are extraordinarily significant to God. When we are the one giving the cup of cold water to someone in the name of Christ, that simple act of faithfulness now takes on eternal significance. John Calvin said, Every work in obedience to one's calling, no matter how ordinary and common, is radiant, most valuable in the eyes of the Lord. Martin Luther King Jr. said, if, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. Abraham Kuyper says, there is not one square inch on the whole plane over, over human existence over which Christ, 
who is Lord over all, does not proclaim, this is mine. According to this passage, there, is, there really is no such thing as the mundane aspects of the Christian life. They matter because God matters. You see, God is the most glorious thing that's ever existed. He is 100% committed to his own glory, not because he's selfish, but because he's truthful. Because he is eternally glorious, for God to be committed to anything other than that would be to tell a lie. He is truthful, and therefore he is committed to his own glory. Genesis tells us that from the very beginning we were made in the image of God. Therefore we are made to display that glory to the world. When we as Christians take that calling seriously, everything we, we do has worth. No act of service, no matter how, how seemingly insignificant, is without value. God intends to use you to re- reclaim every square inch of our planet for him. The spirit who lives inside of the believer wants to declare that Jesus is the rightful owner of everything that our hand finds itself doing. We're not saved just from our sin. We're saved to a mission, and that mission has cosmic implications. That mission is the restoration of God's glory to every nook and cranny of the whole world. Rosaria Butterfield published a book earlier this year entitled, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, Practicing Radically Ordinary Hospitality in Our Postmodern Christian World. It's a mouthful. Um, in it, she, she tells her story of how she came to Christ as a result of a pastor and his wife, wife's hospitality. See, she was an English professor at, at Syracuse University and was interviewing a man named Ken Smith, who happened to be a Christian pastor. And, and Ken had recently written her a, um, a very kind um, opposition to a, an op-ed that she'd recently published. Then Ken and his wife, Floyd, invited her over for dinner. And she said yes. Uh, She happened to be at the same time writing a book uh, against the religious right and considered what she said, considered Ken a a potential unpaid research assistant. She says, I wanted to learn why Christians hated me so, but remain with integrity my point of view. Rosaria accounts, nothing about that night unfolded according to my confident script. Nothing happened in the way I expected. Not that night, or the years after, or the hundreds of meals, or the long nights of psalm singing and prayer as other believers from the university walk through the door of this house as if there were no door at all. Nothing prepared me for the openness and truth. Nothing nothing prepared me for the unstoppable gospel and for the love of Jesus made manifest by daily practices of hospitality undertaken in this one simple Christian home. This Christian home became my two-year refuge and way station. Long before I ever walked through the doors of the church, the Smith home was the place where I wrestled with the Bible, with the reality that Jesus is who he says he is, and and eventually came face-to-face with him. That's what this passage is about. Glorifying God in the mundane aspects of life, like having someone over for dinner. Jesus uses the example of ordinary hospitality, like getting someone a cold cup of water, as the, as the illustration in this passage. The principle is that the mundane activity done in the name of Christ will be rewarded. 
Paradoxically, it is seemingly, the seemingly insignificant parts of life that speak most audibly about the faith that we proclaim. To the rest of the world, the mundane is just the mundane. At worst, it's, wor- it's worthless activity. At best, it's a necessary means to an end. But to the Christian, mundane, the mundane is extraordinary because it's done in the service of a God who is the most glorious thing the universe has ever known. And we, made in his image, bring that glory to bear on every facet of our lives. So I'm not sure what your New Year's uh, resolution is for 2019, uh, but this could be a good one if you don't have one. Radically ordinary faithfulness. Pick one area of your life and focus on bringing that area under the Lordship of Christ this year. Focus on doing it for the glory of God this year. Maybe it's inviting a friend over for dinner who's going through a rough patch. Maybe it's hosting a cookout for your neighbors. It could be that every time you change a diaper this year, that's where I'm at in life, um, you, want, you want to remember that God is glorified and you simply serving your children. Or maybe you want to commit to, to, to praying for your coworkers every time you mow the grass. Whatever it is, pick something that's mundane for you and then consecrate that thing to the Lord this year. George Washington Carver said, when you can do the common things of life in an uncommon way, you will command the attention of the world. It's a good quote, but its impact is more pungent when we we remember that the man who said it spent his life working with peanuts. He spent his energy trying to come up with ways that the peanut could make lives of ordinary folks better. He ended up being pretty successful, uh, but he did so by focusing on something that was as ordinary as a peanut. So it cost Jesus everything to have you as his disciple because you matter to him. And the mundane aspects of your life matter to him. He's interested in all that you do in his name. So may 2019 be the year that God used ordinary people like us doing mundane things to display his his glory to the world. Let me pray. (coughs) Lord, would you paradoxically do something uh, in this community of people, in the communities that we touch, the families that we touch, the businesses, the workplaces, the schools. Father, would you, uh, through just ordinary, mundane service to to you, things being done in your name, would would it speak to the world who doesn't value these things, that sees them just as a means to an end? But would we say something different? Would our lives speak to the goodness of God? the God who came and ransomed us from sin, who understood our affliction well, and who said, I want those people, and saved us to a mission, a mission that involves all of our life, not just what we would call the spiritual stuff, but the stuff on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, not just what we do here on Sunday nights. pray this in Christ's name. Amen.